Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture reading this morning is from John's Gospel. I'm reading from chapter 17, the first 11 verses. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them. And know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me because they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Several years ago, you gave me a great opportunity to go to the Holy Land on a sponsored interfaith trip. And the highlight of that for me was, uh, took me by surprise. The highlight of that trip happened on not one of the distinctively Christian landmarks, but at the western wall of the temple. We, we got off the bus in that area, and the, the whole place was swarming. Uh, the bus driver told us what time we would meet back right here, because there's no way of staying all together. There were uh, groups of people in every corner of the large courtyard there, a sign over in one corner with somebody saying, uh, you know, with the bus number or whatever. There'd be families talking and chattering in every language known to man. Uh, th- there would be large groups of uh, Orthodox Jews there, and they're all black. Well, Rabbi Sandler, the rabbi here in town at the AA synagogue, my friend, he had been many times, and he, he kind of worked me through the crowd and helped me get up to the wall. 
when I got to the wall through this sea of orthodox observers, I stood there at the holy site, and what happened caught me by surprise. God felt as close to me as the stone wall. My, my senses were heightened. My prayers found an unusual focus. And, and I knew my time was limited. There were others trying to get to the wall too. I knew I would have a few sacred moments to offer prayers at this holy site where millions have been before over thousands and thousands of years. I knew that this might be my only chance to stand at that holy place. And what happened was that my most pressing prayers surfaced. I, I cried. And, and through the tears, I offered half sentences and incomplete thoughts. But they were the most important values and relationships. My most urgent hopes surfaced in me. And I had an overwhelming emotional experience of God. When I turned away from the wall and tried to make myself back, myself back through the crowd, and I saw a young uh, rabbi who was a part of our group, and he saw that I had been emotional, and he hugged me and said, your first time at the wall, isn't it? I said, yeah. That experience came back for me as I read this prayer of Jesus, because in this scene for, in John's gospel, Jesus is soon headed to the betrayal and arrest and trial and crucifixion. I'm imagining that this is a pretty focused prayer too. Uh, the gruesome experiences of the passion are about to happen. And this prayer that the scholars call the high priestly prayer Jesus knowing that tomorrow is the undignified and painful death of crucifixion, it seems to me it would concentrate and focus your prayers in the same way mine were focused that day at the wall. I imagine that his most urgent, most important values and relationships and hopes were here too. Our reading for today doesn't include the entire 26 verses of this prayer. The prayer takes three movements. Jesus prays for himself. Father, the hour has come. Jesus prays for his disciples. And Jesus prays for the church universal. But our reading does include the part where he prays for himself and where he prays for the disciples at least part of that. He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, these disciples. I'm coming to you, he says to God. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Protect these people whom I love. And when I'm gone, Grant them unity. Jesus says, I'm coming to you. I won't be sitting at the table with them anymore. Grant them unity. Well, I've wondered what that looks like for us, right? I mean, the, the church has had a while to practice this. How do you suppose we're doing at this unity thing? 
All right, the church may be a little bit of a wide net to cast. Let's just narrow it and say, how are we doing at unity as Baptists in North America? What, what does Baptist unity look like? Well, are you talking about Southern Baptist or American Baptist or Cooperative Baptist or Free Will Baptist or Full Gospel Baptist or General Baptist or Landmark Missionary Baptist or National Baptist or National Primitive Baptist? You get the idea. I could go on. What does Christian unity look like? What would the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer look like, especially in an election year? Does the church have any chance of realizing Christian unity in this political climate? Well, some people think of unity as just getting along, and and, and I don't think Jesus was really appealing just for us to be nice. Oh, some topics, you know, are controversial. Don't bring that up at Thanksgiving. No, I don't think Jesus is trying to make some kind of mismanners appeal here. Hours before the crucifixion, I can't imagine that Jesus, in that urgency of that prayer, would pray that we would be nice. As I, fin- as I mentioned, when I faced the western wall of the temple, my prayers were focused. I prayed for nothing less than a miracle, divine intervention for the great burdens of my heart. Not that I would be enlightened, but saved. It's just hard for me to imagine that on the eve of the crucifixion, Jesus is praying that the Christian community might be nice to each other and civil in political discourse. I think Jesus prayed for a miracle, for us to be saved, for us to be unified in the love of God in Christ, which is a long walk from don't be disagreeable. Unity is a whole lot tougher than that. Although civility is not a bad starting place, there are a lot of Facebook friends I have who I wish would just start there because civility is a long way from where they are now. Apparently, some people didn't learn in elementary school that name-calling is hurtful and juvenile. I'd accept civility as a first step for a lot of folks. But I'm still waiting for the first person to say to me, Do you know that I changed my political party this year? Yeah, I read this angry and one-sided media rant on Facebook, and I just thought, how silly I've been. I mean, there are a lot of folks who could just start with the civility thing. But I don't think Jesus is praying that the disciples will just stop tweeting when they're angry. Christian unity looks more like being saved than being enlightened. Christian unity doesn't happen when we find middle ground, but higher ground. Christian unity has little to do with aligning our preferences and our political leanings. 
but counting the values that bind us as far more important than the topics that separate us. Our political values and other preferences may divide the Christian community in a lot of different ways, putting folks into all kind of different camps. But no flag can fly higher than our commitment to Christ and our commitment to each other in love. You may know this, Joshua Scott is an unrepentant Dallas Cowboys fan. And we all know he's wrong. But I don't think I'm going to help him see the light by saying mean, one-sided things against the Cowboys. I doubt he'll like them less. He might like me less, but I doubt he's going to run out and buy a Falcons jersey just because I made fun of him and called him names. Christian unity doesn't mean that we can't have hard conversations doesn't mean we, we can't let our opinions do battle. We, we can argue ideas while respecting personhood. In fact, we should argue ideas. The financial challenges of this pandemic are going to force us as a church to make some hard decisions. Frankly, we're not going to be able to afford to do all of the things we have been doing. We're going to do like businesses and other nonprofits and other churches are doing, thinking about where to cut and what hard choices need to be made. Should we argue our ideas about that? You bet we should. While never treating another person poorly because he or she doesn't agree with our preference. We should never ascribe bad motives to other people because they don't share our position. Is that going to be easy work? Not a chance. (laughs) But it's the kind of miracle that Jesus prayed would be true of us. Unity stands taller. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them in your name so that they may be one as we are one. The Apostle Paul told the church that was meeting in Thessalonica, therefore encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. I think that is the great litmus test. The question is, are we tearing down or building up? Before you hit send, is it tearing down or building up? Does your difference, your stance, your opinion work to build the body of Christ or tear down? Charles was one of my favorite students when I was a professor at the seminary. Uh, young, fun. He was one of those light-up-the-room kind of students. Late one afternoon, Charles stopped by my office, knocked on the door, and said, Dr. Hollingsworth, can I talk with you for a moment? Sure, have a seat. Dr. Hollingsworth, it's because you're one of my favorite professors and because I trust you that I want to tell you something. 
Charles is African-American. Charles said, today you said something in class that I, I don't think you intended as a put-down, but could be taken wrong by some of your black students. And I listened in shame. When that awkward conversation was over, Charles got up and we hugged hard. And I knew I'd experienced the, the miracle that Jesus had prayed for that day. A private critique offered in love to build me up, to affirm what he knew of my heart and our relationship. I was not his villain, I was his brother. He was trying to love me into a more complete version of myself that I Help me become my own hope for myself. But let's be clear. What he did was in no way nice. It was a lot holier than nice. Christian unity is much harder than civility. It's so hard that I think Jesus included this hope in this most urgent most timely prayer. I usually see Charles once a year at the annual CBF meetings. And every time I see him, I hug him again and my face buried into his dreadlocks where we unite again in what Christian unity might look like. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.